Well, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus the Christ. As this Lent, we are in a season of crucifixion, and we eagerly await resurrection. Now, from the epistle reading that we had today, there are no less than three great full-length sermons in there. But having been reminded multiple times that the Baylor women are already playing, I will keep it to one sermon, and we will keep it rather short. But I say that to remind us that this passage has a lot of breadth and depth to it that can't be fully explored in one sermon. For example, there's an entire sermon in here about how Jesus is a high priest, and we can wonder what that means. There's also a rather provocative implication in this text that Jesus might have had to, as one gospel writer put it, grow in in wisdom and in stature before humanity and God. But what I would like to talk about today is this rather interesting title that the author of the book of Hebrews gives to Jesus, saying that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, as good non-swearing Baptists, many of you may be saying Melchizedek, who? And that would make sense. Uh, Rest assured, though, friends, if you don't know who Melchizedek is, the Bible scholars really don't have much information on this either. You see, Melchizedek has a short, about four-verse story in the book of Genesis. He's mentioned again in the book of Psalms, and then he's mentioned once more in the book of Hebrews. And that's really all we get from Melchizedek. Uh, by, by every measure, he would be considered a minor, a minor Bible character. But I think that he has some pretty major implications for us today. Um, if you'll allow me, I would love to read you his story real quick that I did have bookmarked at one point in Genesis 14, uh, starting in verse 17, and it's just a quick four verses. After Abram's return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. That's the entire story of Melchizedek. He comes in from nowhere, and then we're never told when or if he leaves. We don't know where he came from or where he goes. But it's really a very compelling story. Let me add a bit more foundation and a bit more structure to this story because we kind of pulled it out of context. If you remember the story of Abram, he and his wife Sarai must have been exhausted. You see, a while back, he had responded to the call of God to leave behind everything he knew, his family, his job, his security, his religion, his culture, to go follow God where God would lead. And now, a good while into it, things were getting rough. If you remember much about Abram's journey, you remember that he lies a few times in it, you remember that there's battles and wars. Well, in fact, he had just come out of a war. You see, his tenacious young nephew Lot had just been abducted. And so Abram, who was already a little older in age, had to gather together a militia of anyone who would talk to him, of anybody who would help him, to go and get Lot back. 
He had to fight an actual physical war to get his nephew back. And so you can imagine at this point, he would be exhausted. He would be questioning if God had even called him to this or if he had just made it up. He might be even thinking if he and his wife were the only people in the world following Yahweh. In the middle of this story, as his chest is still heaving from battle, for some reason, the the king of Sodom invites Abram to come out to what's called King's Valley to this meeting, and Melchizedek shows up at it. Now, like I've said before, we don't know much about Melchizedek. We know that he was the king of Salem, but we don't know much about his culture or his family, his religion, how he practiced belief, what his beliefs might have been. But somehow he was a king from Salem here, and even more impressively, he was a priest, a a priest of God. Now, Now, if you think about this, the Jews had no priesthood at this point. Abram and Sarai were convinced that they were the only followers of Yahweh. There was no temple or or even a tabernacle. There there were no rules for sacrifices or, or even a law to obey. There would have been nothing for a priest to have done at this point in their eyes. But God had been working in and through ways that they hadn't even imagined. As the scriptures say, perhaps God has sheep of other pastures, that God had been working and forming and training in ways that we don't know much about in our tradition. You see, Melchizedek came from nowhere, but he blessed Abram in amazing ways. He brought with him two things. He brought with him bread and wine. And though as Christians we may be very quick to assume this is a communion scene, let's remember this is the book of Genesis after all. It, it predates Jesus by a few years. Um, and, so, and so it may be that the author didn't necessarily intend a communion scene here. But when a priest of God comes and brings you a meal, something important is happening. You see, this priest didn't just come and throw food and money at Abram's problems, tell him to go and be well and leave. No, he sat down and ate with Abram while he was still recovering from battle, while he was still doubting his place. And beyond a, a physical filling, the, the Melchizedek then brings a blessing. Now, it's pretty hard in 2018 to really understand what an Old Testament blessing would have been like. You see, when we think of a blessing, we think of somebody sneezing and us saying, oh, God bless you. Or or maybe if we're lucky, when we think of a blessing, we think of Kendall walking down the middle aisle here, pronouncing a benedicting blessing on us. Those are great. But at this point, in a world without contracts, in a world without laws, in a world without written language, the words you spoke had to be the words you meant. You see, if a king were to come and to say something over you, to to bless you at this time, it was understood to have this beautiful creative and informative power to it. Uh, As the scriptures might put it, the, the word would become flesh. And so if a king spoke something over you, you understood it was going to happen. Much more if a priest spoke over you, you you might have understood that God or the gods were going to be in what was about to happen. And so when Melchizedek comes and fills Abram physically, he also fills Abram spiritually. And Abram knows he can continue on the journey. 
He doesn't think it's going to be any easier. He doesn't think that all the trials are going to go away. But now he has a sheep from another pasture coming in to tell him that God is in this and that he's headed the right direction. Thank God for Melchizedek. Thank God for the Melchizedeks in our lives. Have you ever had an experience where a priest, maybe even from a different pasture, came into your life and reassured you that you were right where God had you? I have, and it was a really wonderful experience. About three years ago at this point, I, I was working at a Baptist student ministry in a beautiful town in West Texas, and some of our students had, in a moment of real vulnerability and openness, admitted that maybe they believed some untrue things about Muslim people, and, and some were even brave enough to name that Islamophobia. And so my boss and I uh, put together a beautiful interfaith night where the pastor of the local Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Church and his friend, the local Muslim imam, came in and and shared uh, differences and similarities in our faiths. The problem was this event that we had advertised only to students to be kind of an intellectual thing that, that, that college students would hopefully want to come to all of a sudden, more than half the seats in the room were full of community leaders, the, the, the kind of leaders in a town like that that make all the decisions. Some of the deacons from the Baptist churches, someone from city council, someone from the chamber of commerce, even a manager of a large local store. And I was scared. I, I was anxious. Because, you see, I thought that maybe we had misstepped. Maybe all of our support and, let me be honest here, all of our funding was about to dry up. I thought that all of our friends in town would soon be gone. But I had a Melchizedek moment. You see, for the closing prayer, the, the imam was, was praying to God, and I expected him to use terms such as Allah, as you might. But he named God in the ways I've named God. He prayed to the God of many names and then closed the prayer in the name of the God of Abraham. And so in that moment, for me, Melchizedek came out of the scriptures, came out of that West Texas desert into the student center of South Plains College and reassured me that I was doing the right thing, that that I was following God, that I was on the right path. Thank God for Melchizedek's in our life. So I return to our original question, Old Testament narratives and personal stories besides. What does it mean for Jesus to be a priest in the line of Melchizedek? Well, I think at least one answer would have been pretty obvious for the original hearers. You know, as good, devoted Jewish Christians, the original audience of this text would not have known what to make with a claim that Jesus was a priest. Because you see, priests at this point had to be from the right family, They had to have the right bloodline in them. And both of the genealogies we have for Jesus in the Bible don't put him in a priestly line. They put him in a kingly line. He's in the line of David. And so for a good author of Hebrews to claim that Jesus is a priest, a high priest, Jesus needs some lineage from which to draw this power. And so the author of Hebrews goes back into the Old Testament, and she repurposes this story for the good of a new generation. She takes Melchizedek, and she says, that is who Jesus is in the line of. 
You see, Jesus is not the kind of priest that we're used to. Jesus is not the kind of priest that comes into the temple concerned with what kind of animal we've brought to sacrifice. Jesus isn't the kind of priest that's concerned with maintaining the status quo in the temple. Jesus is from a completely different line. Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek. Jesus comes to us when we are in our valley, when we are in the desert, when we are in the wilderness, and reassures us that we are headed the right direction. Jesus brings with him communion and a blessing to show us that we are following God. And so, friends, in response today, I think that we can place ourselves in at least two places in this story. First of all, many of us in this room are probably ready to go out and to be Melchizedek's in the desert. Many of us are ready to break out of walls, to break out of structures, both physical and sometimes theological, and go out into the world and find the Abrams exhausted and tired from their journey. Many of us are ready to bring real, lasting food to people. Many of us are ready to bring an actual formative blessing in the lives of those we meet. If that is you, hear this, that's what Jesus came to do. Go forth and do good. But in closing, what I wonder today is if many of us feel more like Abram. If in this Lenten journey, as we've been considering our sin, both personal and corporate, maybe some of us have reached a valley point. Maybe some of us in our journey with God feel like we haven't yet reached that promised land. Many, maybe some of us feel like we, too, are in a wilderness. Maybe some of us feel like Abram, that, that we feel like we are the only ones walking. In church, I say this carefully, maybe sometimes as a church we feel like we have been left to the wilderness. We've been following God as best as we know how and following the Spirit as best we know how when longtime denominational partners leave us in a desert, so to speak. Friends, I come with good news. Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the kind of priest that breaks into our valleys, that breaks into our wilderness and gives us hope. Jesus is the kind of priest that brings communion. And when Jesus brings communion, it's his own body and blood for us. Jesus brings us a real blessing in this time. And no promise that it will be easier, no trite little sayings, but Jesus brings us his presence, and that is enough. So may we be a people that seek and understand how to be unexpected grace to people in this world and seek to receive Christ's unexpected grace among us. Amen.